I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. We're going to be talking about Good Faith Media's latest giving campaign. And then also it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And then later on the pod, we're going to talk about the big leak coming out of Washington, D.C. this week with the Supreme Court and a possible decision regarding Roe v. Wade. And later on the pod, Autumn sits down with Rabbi Rachel Ain and talking about a sermon she delivered last year after the state of Texas issued their latest anti-abortion bill. So it's going to be a great and informative pod. Make certain to stay tuned. Rainforest, volcanoes, coastlines with crystal blue water, fresh fruit and seafood, Join Good Faith Media for an immersive experience on Hawaii's Big Island. Discover brilliant night skies with our friend, astrophysicist Paul Wallace. Explore and have fun with your small group of adventurers. Join us May 21st through the 28th. Learn more at faithexperiences.org. Autumn, how are you this week? Well, I'm dodging... Uh, thunderstorms, Mitch, to be honest with you. It's been a little tricky. I I know. I am out of town this week and I was watching the news and talking to home last night. It sounds like uh, the state of Oklahoma got hit pretty hard with storms. You guys doing okay? We are doing fine. So far, everything has been east of us. Uh, I mean, the storms are going over us, but they're not really elevating uh, to tornadic levels until they get about 45 minutes east of us. But it's still a little too close for comfort. And watching the storm that pummeled Shawnee last night was was really eerie. It sort of felt like the 2013 storms that hit more. Wow. Well, I, I'm glad that uh, it didn't seem like there's any significant uh, injuries after last night's storms. But I have to admit, I did notice uh, a different uh, element to the coverage in last night's storms and tornadoes. You know, used to, uh, when I would watch the news and tornadoes would descend in Tornado Alley, uh, we'd often get the proverbial uh, video footage and interview coming from a trailer park. Uh, And thankfully it didn't seem like any trailer parks were hit last night, but there was a marijuana farm hit and there was a lot of news coverage given to that. In the state there was of a lot. And now in their defense, I will just say that the tornado, um, it really started and was the most violent in the middle of nowhere. And I think this farm was sort of the only inhabited space in the field where it was the most violent. And I think that's why they were covering it. But yes, it did make some funny national trends for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The tornado well, needed to calm down, Mitch. Medically, it just needed to calm down. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, no wonder it was so mellow after it went it was. through. It just mellowed right out. It's amazing how that works. Speaking of mellowing out, Mitch, it's Mental Health Week. It is Mental Health Week. Uh, it's actually Mental Health Month. It probably needs uh, to be Mental Health like decade. Like we all need some help. <laughs> right. You know, I was talking to a physician friend of mine just the other day, and. You know, they were talking now that we're in or in the kind of the endemic stages uh, of the after the pandemic and that uh, the physician was just telling me that mental health um, appointments, uh, therapist counseling sessions are on not only the uptick, but are seen at levels now like they've never seen them before. There is a lot going on. 
around the world and, and people you know, have really been suffering uh, with mental health the last couple of years. They've always been suffering with it, but it just really uh, was exemplified during the last couple of years. And, and people are getting help. And that's good news, Autumn, that people are, are willing to get help. It is. Um, it's, it is good news. And it's also, I think, just some fallout from the pandemic and what we have all collectively been through as a, a, a human race. And, you know, typically, even if there's a giant war that rages, it's only hitting like select pockets of people. But because the pandemic was truly a global situation, all of humankind has been touched by it. And mm -hmm. as some of us, you know, start to emerge from it and are sort of grappling with what, what just happened and how do I keep right. going from here? And, and what's the point really of mm -hmm. all of this? I think that's a question a lot of us are asking and we need a professional to help guide us uh, to more positive spaces. Yeah. You know, Autumn, I, I don't know about you, uh, but you know, you and I have been pretty open about uh, mental health on this show for, for years now. And you don't realize the amount of anxiety and pressure that is upon you just globally. I mean, we talked about the, the pandemic. You know, we, we saw the social justice uprising when George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and others were killed and, and the calls for racial justice and police reform. And, you know, obviously the presidential election, the insurrection on January the 6th, and of course now with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the economy, all these incredible uh, global issues are pressing down upon people. And it seems as though we don't realize how much pressure we're under as a society until something personal happens until a family relationship goes sideways or somebody in the family gets sick or maybe personal finances implode. And then all of a sudden, everything that we've been carrying begins to just weigh us down and, and we crack, many of us crack and just mm -hmm. and have a, a really hard time. Um, you know, people are dealing with substance abuse too. I mean, the pandemic was not good when it came to substance abuses. And no. so there's been so much going on in the last two years. And, and I just want anybody out there uh, in our audience who's listening today, if, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling like, you know, you're at wits, your wits end, please, please, we beg you. I mean, I beg you to, to get some help, make that phone call, get yourself uh, an appointment with a therapist, a licensed counselor, uh, because it can make all the difference. Uh, it's, it's very, very important to make certain your mental, uh, your mental health is taken care of as well as your physical health because mental health is physical health. Yeah. They're very tied. And I had a therapist, I think two or three therapists to go. I, I, my family just loves therapy. We just stay in it. We just sort of preemptively stay there. And, um, I had a therapist a few years ago, I was going through just a lot and, um, I was telling her, you know, you, it used to be that if I could just get in the kitchen, I'd be okay. Like that is, mm -hmm. that is my happy, you know, like in the kitchen is my yeah, happy sure. place. It's, it's where I, there's so many good white noises and textures and sounds and smells. And then at the end of it, you have something to share with people you love. It's just, it hits all the things yeah. that I need. And I just told her, I was like, it's just not working anymore. And she said, well, of course it's not like you're under new stresses and new pressures and the ways that you've dealt with stress in the past were perfect for the 
level of stress you were under. But as you've added more children, different professional issues, other things as you just grow up and life happens, then you have to do more things to sort of counterbalance those stressors in your life and to be intentional about that. And uh, just having a professional to talk to who's on your side and doesn't have a dog in the fight is so helpful. And I'm so glad that you're doing, you know, you know, remarkably, uh, I mean, you're doing remarkable uh, with your mental health and personally, I appreciate it because I've lost 10 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to cook a little more healthy too, Mitch. I think, I think when you're physically healthy, when you're moving your body and putting healthy things into your body, you feel better mentally too. Like you just do. Um, And I did make cookies while you were gone. So sorry. There was tornadoes. I was feeling stressed. So I made cookies. Psychology. I was just going to say psychology today dot. I think it's .com, has an amazing therapy search tool that you can use. You can put in your insurance. You can put in if you want someone who is a specific gender or a specific religious or not religious affiliation. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a really helpful space, and it's where I've I've had success finding all of our therapists. That's a great resource. Well, speaking of resources, Autumn, you've been busy uh, the last uh, several months preparing for something new at Good Faith Media. Uh, Last week, uh, Good Faith Media launched a brand new campaign. Do you want to tell us all about it? I would love to. I'm going to I'm going to pull a star really quick. I'm going to go tell it on the mountain. (laughs) Because honestly, um, really, as we were wrapping up our end of year campaign, uh, the Gather campaign of uh, 2021, um, I heard the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain uh, at church because it's a Christmas song. I mean, people say, I don't really, I'm a little more fluid when it comes to my hymns. I can sing an Easter hymn anytime, like, but I think Go Tell It on the Mountain, when it sort of ties into our tagline at Good Faith Media, which is there's more to tell, uh, it just really resonated with me and that there is still good news out there. We are not trying to... uh, toxic positivity you we understand that there are hardships but there is still good news to tell and we really fancy ourselves a good mechanism for telling that good news but we need your help and so what we have um what we have in store for our friends over the next couple of months through the months of may and june are voices from um specifically this podcast guests that we've had are going to be telling us their more to tell reminding us of their more to tell um and with an encouragement to consider sharing um, our messages across social media. People um, sometimes don't know what to think of us because we are people of faith who hold um, social justice in our hearts as also a sacred space. And people don't know what to do with us, but Mitch, also the algorithms don't know what to do with us. So social media, Twitter, TikTok, they don't know who to advertise this to because they're like, now wait, you don't quite match our systems. Um, And so we really depend on our friends to share our messaging. If you would like our our social media posts, if you would comment on them, if you would share them with your friends, that really helps us get the message out. Um, So that's our first challenge to folks over May and June. Our second challenge is if you are not a subscriber to our Nurturing Faith Journal and Bible Study, we encourage you to get a subscription to that, whether digital or in print. It's very economical, but the the journal articles are incredible. They're uh, longer than our online content, and so you can delve a little deeper into the the subjects that are, are passion projects for us and likely passion projects for you. Listen to experts in these fields. And then the second part of that journal is a Bible study. You know, I have people all the time yeah. saying, I don't know where to go or I can 
can study the Bible and not feel like it's propaganda for a political movement. Well, here we are. We're here and we have it for you. So buy a subscription to that. And while you're there, get a gift subscription for someone. It helps us share our news. Um, And it's a really good way to describe what Good Faith Media is to others. Because I know sometimes it's it's a lot to remember because we're doing so much. And then the third one is to become a monthly donor. Um, If NPR can ask you for your money, then so can we. We are a nonprofit. (laughs) We really depend on our donors to continue doing what we're doing. And so that is sort of the crux of our More to Tell campaign. Well, that's a great, great, uh, great commercial. And uh, it's a great campaign. Uh, Really, really is exciting. It's hard to believe that we, you and I have been doing this podcast now for over two years. Uh, We've got a stable of incredible content from the remarkable guests we've when had. When you say on that, I always want to make a horse sound like, <laughs> <laughs> like stomp my hoof or something. Well, we have had Mr. Ed on. If we need to, to look, call his agents, if we can get. We have a whole maybe, stable. You know, the, the Kentucky Derby this weekend. Maybe we can get the oh, winner of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, yes, a little mint show. julep. So, that's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all of the, the, the question that you ask every guest, uh, what's your more to tell. They've done such a fabulous job over the last two years. And so we're excited about uh, sharing that with, with our audience and supporters. So, we so are. yeah, uh, after you, you, you click uh, a stop on this podcast today, make certain you run over to goodfaithmedia.org and hit donate uh, so we can keep doing uh, this podcast and generating content. Uh, all across our platforms. So, well, and hey, see, on, and, and, yeah. and they should also come to see all the cute graphics we've made with mountains and music. I'm very <laughs> proud of our our graphics around this campaign. Yeah, it looks really good. Reminds me of uh, you know those days in elementary school when I faked I was sick and stayed home and watched Bob Barker uh, on The Price Is Right. And you know the game I'm talking about. Oh, I know that that was sort of one of the muses for this was the the little yodel mountain <laughs> yeah. climber guy. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Mitch. I have to tell you. That our intern turned colleague had mm-hmm. no idea what I was talking about oh when I to- when I explained it to her. She was like, yeah. "Price is right," and I was like, "I'm a hundred years old. What's happening?" <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, we've just, or I have at least just aged myself. I've used a Mister Ed reference and now the Bob Barker reference. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm old. I get it. <laughs> uh, well, hey, Autumn, uh, big news coming out of the nation's capital this week, uh, Politico. So um, released a story of a draft of an opinion by the Supreme Court that appears to overturn Roe v. Wade, which was an incredible bombshell that uh, just sent reverberations all across the country. Um, What was your reaction to that leak and that story? You know, the timing around it was interesting because it was sort of in the evening and part of me in the beginning just wanted to hope that it wasn't real, that it was just a fake, that it was hashtag fake news. Mm -hmm. Uh, But unfortunately, it wasn't. And if we've learned anything since 2016, it's that we um, we can't expect the best. We have to expect the worst because that is what continues to happen. And um, it's terrifying. It just really is. You know, we live in Oklahoma, which just very recently followed suit with Texas. So, you know, when we start thinking about what states individually are going to do when it comes to abortion care, we already know. They've already mm-hmm. told us. And um, it's I just can't believe we're moving backward. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Uh, we've got a lot of great writers uh, that have uh 
produce or published columns this week with us regarding uh, the news that broke uh, earlier this week. And I encourage you to go to goodfaithmedia.org to read those columns. I know we've got some other columns coming out uh, next week that you'll want to read. But uh, a couple of uh, quick thoughts from me on this. Uh, one, I do want to say this. It was a shame that the draft brief was leaked. Uh, I do think that hurts the integrity of the Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court needs to do their work and 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 write these drafts. Uh, I, I don't know for certain, but I would imagine that some justices uh, may change their mind during the drafting of, of these briefs as they read the comments from other justices. So, uh, you know, I do I do think the leak was not productive when it comes to Supreme Court. And so I hate that uh, the news broke in that way. With that said, um, I was not surprised at who is supporting uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade and who is uh, in uh, who's dissenting uh, on the, the brief as well or on the, the opinion as well. Um, you know, we saw this coming uh, at the end of President Obama's uh, presidency uh, when Justice Scalia passed away. Uh, there was an opening on Supreme Court one year prior to the election. Uh, the Republicans in the Senate uh, withheld his constitutional right to appoint a Supreme Court justice. Uh, they delayed the vote. They said it was his right to uh, to uh, just submit a name, but it was also their right not to vote on it. And so that's what they did. And so they did not vote on Merrick Garland. Uh, for Supreme Court justice, instead waited until after that election, the 2016 election, uh, to which Donald Trump won. And so he was able to appoint uh, another a conservative justice. And then we, of course, had another uh, justice step down, Kennedy stepped down, Trump appointed another uh, conservative justice after that. And then we had the death of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, at the end of his presidency, and again, the Republicans said that they were not going to wait this time like they did during yeah. President Obama, uh, and quickly uh, ran uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, into that seat. So they've had, they do have a strong majority of Supreme Court, and for decades to come, I might add. And so this fight is going to be a fight not only for. Uh, women's reproductive rights, but it's going to be a fight for many other rights that are now in jeopardy because if this ruling comes to fruition, uh, it should terrify every American because not only will women's re reproductive rights uh, be taken away, but possibly uh, the right, any precedent that's been set by the Supreme Court to same-sex marriage uh, could be you know, done away with. Uh, and sent back to the states. It is, it's just really frightening uh, where this country is heading uh, and just uh, really, really lament uh, that if this is true, uh, it is a, the wrong direction that America is, is heading towards. So uh, that's why we have to continue to fight. And that's why we need support uh, at Good Faith Media so that we can keep uh, offering uh, an alternative view to the religious right, as well as amplifying voices like you'll read this week at goodfaithmedia.org, uh, talking about uh, faith and policy where faith and culture intersect. So uh, just a good reminder, we've got a lot of work to do and we got we need the support to do it. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And we had um, an, an amazing conversation with Rabbi Ain on the second part of this podcast episode. And we really got into some of the, the nuts and bolts of um, of just what pro-life means and what pro-choice means and how mm-hmm. those words have been um, polarized from from really what they actually mean. And it was just interesting to talk with a religious leader about um, her strong stance uh, for pro-choice and to learn a little bit more about sort of uh, the, the Jewish heritage around uh, pro-choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating interview. And, and Rabbi Ain uh, is, is, is a wonderful uh, rabbi to her congregation there in New York City and just s- smart, intelligent uh, and practical at the same time. So I think you're really going to enjoy the interview. So stay tuned as Autumn interviews Rabbi Rachel Ain. Marvel at Pacific Coast Wells, wonder in rainforests, explore wild coastlands and towering cliffs. Join Good Faith Media for a unique and immersive experience in the Pacific Northwest and Olympic National Park. Enjoy engaging conversation with your small group of adventurers led by our team, which includes a journalist, historian, and theologian. Join us. July the 23rd through 30th. Learn more at faithexperiences.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. We are so excited to have Rabbi Rachel Ain, who became the rabbi of Sutton Place Synagogue in the summer of 2012. Before joining SPS, Rabbi Ain was the senior director for National Young Leadership at the Jewish Federations of North America, where she worked closely with lay leaders and professionals to engage the next generation of leaders for the Jewish community. Rabbi Ain holds a BA in American History from Barnard College and a BA in Midrash from JTS. She received her rabbinic ordination from JTS in 2004, where she concurrently received her MA in Jewish Education. Rabbi Ain is married to Rabbi David Levy, and they are the proud parents of two sons. I have two boys, too, so I feel like we may need to talk about that a little bit later. (laughs) Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you so much. Yes, we are so thankful to have you here and was excited to see you featured as our our person of good faith last week and sort of tumbled down a rabbit hole listening to some of your sermons, specifically one that you did eight months ago after the, the, the Texas shenanigans. I'm a Texas girl, and so this is hitting really close to home for a lot of people I love. I'm sure. Um, when I gave that sermon in late August, early September, I know it was Labor Day weekend. I did so um, within the last few days of that week, as I always write my sermons mid to late week, trying to understand what's going on, how will the Torah speak to people. And this idea that in our weekly Torah portion, then it spoke about choosing life and how often is that idea of being pro-life completely inverted, that the notion of pro-life seems to only apply to a certain segment of our society, when we're not focusing on on how everybody has the opportunity to live in a way that is dignified and appropriate, where they get the choices over their own bodies. So I gave that sermon, not sure how it was going to be received. And the response both in the room that day and online over the next several days was extraordinary. I was so deeply moved by the stories Mm -hmm. I heard, by the thank yous that I got. And I was glad that we in the Jewish community were able to speak about it and and talk about it. And here we are eight months later and it's getting worse, not better. 
Yeah, it's, it's getting so much worse. Um, earlier this week, Politico reported on a leaked draft from the Supreme Court that appears to overturn Roe v. Wade. This would permit states to pass anti-abortion laws putting women's health at risk. As you can imagine, this new information has put a lot of people up in arms. However, you've been talking about this topic, as we've just said, for a little while since since the Texas shenanigans, at least. Um, after the Supreme Court upheld the Texas abortion law um, and your powerful sermon about choosing life, um, could you zoom in and tell me about some of those stories without, of course, identifying any of, of the folks who may have confided in you? Sure. Well, I've heard stories of different women who've made different choices about terminating their pregnancy, about having an abortion for various reasons. Now, quite frankly, the reasons, the specifics don't matter um, because what I don't want people to get into is judging which is an okay abortion to have and which is not an okay abortion to have. Um, that's where we start the slippery slope and what's what's complicated. And yes, it, it is complicated. It is new. We know that. Um, but what I'll what I'd like to think about are what people refer to as late term abortions, mm -hmm. you know, 28, 30 weeks. Um, my I, I've been pregnant twice. I've given birth twice, um, blessed with two wonderful sons. My sense, if somebody is carrying a fetus until at least week 28 and they are told that something's going on and they make a decision at week 28 to terminate that pregnancy, they are doing so with the deepest sense of emotion and probably some sadness and loss on something they had planned for. They were almost into their third trimester. And so the judgment of people questioning all of these women is, is painful. Mm -hmm. It, it really is. I have been pregnant five times and have four children. And so I, this is a really tender topic for me. Um, I, I was, you know, I was married, but I was still in college, uh, when I was very first pregnant and, uh, we got into about the 12th week and the fetus wasn't viable. And uh, my husband and I had to make a choice about a choice. There's that buzzword about what to do. And, you know, at that point I was starting to have some complications. There were questions about whether or not I was going to hemorrhage, but technically you know, there was still a heartbeat. So it's was like, what do you do? So, you know, our choice, what we decided and at the time, we were hyper-conservative Baptist, you know, had, but this didn't feel like an abortion to us. This felt like the choice we were making for my health. We checked into a hotel and we're supposed to show up for the surgery the next morning, and I lost the baby on my own that night. Um, and I, I don't think that I, it's just so tricky for me because in some ways I feel like, you know, that was a grace-filled moment. In other ways... It was horrific, and I really wish I had been at the hospital the next morning surrounded by doctors and nurses because I was terrified. You didn't know what was going to happen and what was no. going to happen to you, no. and that's the issue here. These laws, changing these laws aren't going to stop abortions and stop the termination of pregnancies. No. What it is going to stop is doing it safely in a way that is healthy for the women. And in Judaism, there is a preference of life put on the living mother as opposed to the fetus. There is a distinction in that time period. We see it as far back as the Torah in the book of Exodus, um, when a distinction is made, what happens when a uh, 
woman is hit amidst two men fighting and she miscarries as opposed to her own life ending, um, what kind of damages, there is a difference made. Um, we see it in how the rabbis understand this. And we need to give women the voice to make these decisions for their own uh, mental and physical health. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting when I when I listened to your sermon and, and you t- you gave an illustration similar to that. Um, I grew up in a very evangelical space, and you know, Rachel, I don't know that I was taught that my life as a woman was valued more than a fetus. I really don't. Um, in fact, hearing you say that, it was like, oh, like it sort of hit me in a different way. And and I think a lot of the the strongest voices um, in the pro life camp, I'm air quoting here, um, were probably raised in a similar space and don't know that their lives matter. Right. And it's not to say that we shouldn't care for the fetus. Of course. I hope your listeners don't mishear me. The importance of prenatal care for the sake of that fetus as it becomes a child is crucial. We need to do everything we can um, to understand the situation we're in. But the rules, the laws that are being both overturned and then passed down is so dangerous for our country. And not only sets us back in terms of the medical care that will be available, but what it says about women in agency. Yes, absolutely. And you know, you made a point too about that, you know, this isn't going to outlaw abortion, it's just going to outlaw safe abortions. And you gave the illustration of, you know, a senator's daughter or, you know, someone who has the um the privilege of being able to load up their their you know, whoever it is who was pregnant and does not want to be cross state lines and take care of things, you know, very safely. But folks who don't have that kind of access, that's what that's who's going to really lose here. Sure. We know that this is going to affect women of color in a deeply um, significant way. Um, we, We know the numbers are different and we need to figure out how to give voice to those who need it. Um, You know, I live here in New York, where this is a space where I'm actually not concerned that the laws are going to change. Yesterday, I was at a rally downtown and Attorney General Tish James spoke out forcefully about how New York will be a place if women need to, if they choose to come. And I think what's important here is this is not about advocating for abortion. This is about advocating for choice and for voice and for dignity. And that's what we need to understand here. We are all pro-life. We are. Um, But we want to give people the lives that they deserve to live. And the the idea that it's a zero-sum game um, is really ruining the important conversation that we need to have. Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about that for folks who are holding the approach, the choice of life and how that has been, those terms have been really pitted as being diametrically opposed, but they don't have to be. Look, I think about, you know, when you asked me before about some of the women who've come to me, I 
have had women speak to me about the choices they've made, like the choice you described. And in the end, it wasn't your choice when you miscarried, um, but to terminate a pregnancy um, for their own personal decisions. And I've had other women come and tell me their stories that they have terminated a pregnancy, maybe because of the viability of the baby at a given moment. It is not my job to judge if one is more valid than the other. Um, a decision that a woman makes about her body is between herself, her doctor, and the God that she does or doesn't believe in. My role as a rabbi is to pastor and care for those who come in front of me, who ask me questions, and for me to present and represent my tradition and my faith to my community. And to me, that's the other thing about this. Um, and something I spoke about in the sermon, the idea that the Supreme Court, the law of the land is going to overturn Roe versus Wade, in fact, limits my ability to do my job as a rabbi. Mm -hmm. which takes away the First Amendment, freedom of religion. I need to be able to sit with my congregants who are struggling deeply. Nobody is coming to these decisions lightly. No. Let's give people the opportunity to think through them in a way they need to. This is not simple. Um, it's painful. It's painful for everybody, regardless of what choice they make. But we need to think about how to have compassion and love. You're exactly right. And it is, I feel like sometimes these conversations that are so complex and that are a spectrum of situations that bring someone to a to an abortion are painted in a very um, black and white. Like it's either it's either A or B. It's either you're choosing life or you're choosing death and that's it. And it doesn't really allow space for the complexities that actually make up these situations uh, because it's not easy to put on a picket sign. No, it's not easy to put on a picket sign. And at the same time, I recognize as a woman who has been pregnant and has had children there is something very powerful about that fetus inside and what we, how we refer to it now in my family, we didn't give it a name. I didn't have a baby shower till after the baby was born. I mean, I didn't have a baby shower at all, but we didn't do that. We wanted to make a distinction between this moment, the liminal moment of delivery, and then when the baby was born and then we welcomed the baby into the world. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an emotional connection, which is why I understand, I do understand the individuals who feel like the notion of pro-life is so crucial. I, I understand that. I've had a living being person begin their life inside of me. Mm -hmm. And yet it is not for me to make that decision for somebody else. That's absolutely right. Can you speak at all to the concept I've heard? Of course, there's been, you know, no limit of conversations around this topic on social media for the past few days. Um, this concept of people who are pro-birth rather than pro-life, they claim to be pro-life, but then don't support any of the systems that support a mom and a family and a baby once it's actually born. Well, I think that's the conversation we need to have. It's not only being pro-birth, but what are all of the systems um, with regard to healthy um, sexual education? 
-hmm. How do we ensure that people are getting the information they need um, when they want to make choices? What access do they have to birth control? If a baby is born, again, what access does do people have to medical care and to education and to child care? It is not inexpensive to raise a child today. No. And while we don't want finances to be a decision maker in this, we need to know that having a child is not something that is easily done. And so we need to make sure there are support networks for individuals who do choose to have babies so that they have what they need to live meaningful lives. Yes. And, and to vote accordingly for these kind of systems to be put in place. Um, I traveled last summer with an obstetrician. He was on an experience that we took and just listening to him talk about he's a person of faith, strong person of faith, very active in his church. And he talked uh, really vulnerably about how he feels about abortion care. And you can imagine being an OB in Oklahoma, that that's a tricky space for him. Um, but he did talk about how a lot of people, for a lot of people, it is a financial decision. And it's not, oh, I can't afford to have this baby, but it's, I've been able to create a sustainable life for the two children that I do have. This happened and and this is just viable for my family. And he said, it's heartbreaking. And the mom doesn't want to make that choice, but that's where she is because of just the poverty situation that many people in our country find themselves. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree. And so th this conversation goes well beyond just the narrow scope of abortion and Roe mm -hmm. versus Wade. It, what are the support systems? How do we understand that? What does it mean to be a community that cares for those who are vulnerable? And how do we care for those who need our mental support? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are some medical spaces that aren't um, accessible to everyone. So a lot of folks plan point to plan B. You know, you can just take plan B and then I know that's still a medical abortion, but for some people it's more palatable than a surgical situation. Um, I learned recently that I guess plan B is not effective for women who weigh more than 155 pounds. I had no idea. Did you? And, did. and so that's another, you know, area of restriction that it is not accessible to everyone. And um, that sometimes there was a, a body positivity space and they were talking about um, even effective birth control um, is not as effective depending on what, you know, what your weight is. And something I just never considered. I didn't know that at all. I, I Right. And so it gives so a lot of a lot of times what they were saying is that people who have a you know a certain weight like can sometimes be more at risk for needing abortion care because the the birth control options that we have are not accessible to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So from a Jewish perspective, we note writing from rabbis on the issue of abortion, and in almost every instant, the rabbis conclude that the life of the mother must be considered more important than the life of the fetus. Um, and again, I said, as a Christian, it just sort of made my head scratch a little bit. Um, where do you think the disconnect is there? What's what's the issue? I don't want to speak about Christianity as I am not an expert. So I understand. Maybe from just the Jewish side of things. I would say that the, the distinction becomes only when the baby begins to emerge from the woman is mm -hmm. it on an equal ground. Um, I see. I see. That that makes complete sense to me. But there is a, certainly in Judaism, there is 
not a belief that life begins at conception. Um, there is the idea that, that you there is a sense of mourning for women who want to be pregnant mm. and women who want to have a child. A miscarriage is deeply painful. And let me say that as well in this conversation, because what I don't want people, your listeners to take away from this is a discounting of that emotional roller coaster that women go through over those many weeks of pregnancy. But from the most traditional ways that we look at miscarriage and we provide opportunities for mourning and healing and comfort, a distinction is made between the loss of a fetus and the loss of a baby. And it is complicated in this conversation because infertility and losing a fetus through miscarriage is so painful and so many women don't talk about it and they should be able to talk about it. They should be able to be in sisterhood with others. They shouldn't need to suffer in silence. And I want to make sure that as we are holding the voices up of those who choose to terminate, we also hold up those who are mourning a loss, recognizing that the pain is different and the needs are different. Right. And that one doesn't negate the other. Correct. We don't we don't have to be against one another. Um, and, and that is definitely, I think, some of the fuel on, on the the air quote pro-life side of things, um, the growing amounts of infertility and women who are waiting until later in life. But it things like overturning Roe v. Wade start calling into question even some of the um, scientific advances that have been given to people who suffer from infertility, people who have frozen their eggs. Well, then what happens to them? Where do we draw this line? It is such a tricky situation. And again, as we've said many times, needs to be left to the individual and their doctor. Correct. Amen. Not politicians. Um, it has been so amazing talking with you and getting to know you a little bit over the past uh, a few minutes and then few weeks reading your things. Um, as you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. And we love to ask each of our guests what their more to tell is. And so I will just pitch that question right over to you. I think my more to tell is the conversations that are taking place at home. I have two sons who are 16 and almost 14. And yesterday I brought my 16 with 16 year old with me to this rally downtown and watching him stand and chant and sing and, and look at these posters was, was tremendous and painful. Painful that here we are decades later thinking that this was a solved issue. And now this next generation is inheriting this trauma. And the importance of being able to speak openly with people that we love to explain why these are issues to talk about, why these aren't just about someone else, but this is about our whole community. And if we've learned nothing else over the last two and a half years of this COVID pandemic, it is that we are all deeply connected to one another. Mm -hmm. The impact of one has an, the, the actions of one impact the lives of somebody else. 
and we need to see how we are in community and support one another. I love that. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, if you'd like to to read more um, about Rabbi Ian's work, we'll have some links to her work in our show notes. And to our listeners, we will be back with you next week. And we would encourage you to keep living good faith.